This is the Read Your Bible Podcast, the daily podcast designed to help you understand and apply the scriptures. Nothing will grow your relationship with Jesus Christ more than studying the Bible for yourself. I'm your host, Drew Tankersley, and for the next few moments, I want to invite you to join me as we dive into God's Word together. We'll ask God to help us see what He wants us to see so that we can be who He wants us to be. In his autobiography, Nelson Mandela once wrote, Part of being optimistic is keeping one's head pointed toward the sun, one's feet moving forward. There were many dark moments when my faith in humanity was sorely tested, but I would not and could not give myself up to despair, for that way leads to death and defeat. We've all been there, where the melody of hope seems to fade amid the pounding drums of fear and doubt. But just how do we find hope amid the darkness of this life? Well, we're given a clue here in the dark narrative of 1 Kings 16. And on today's podcast, we'll consider a truth that should settle us as we ride the stormy tides of this life. I'm looking at verses 29 through 34 of 1 Kings chapter 16 today. Ahab, son of Omri, became king over Israel in the 38th year of Judah's king Asa. Ahab, son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria for 22 years. But Ahab, son of Omri, did what was evil in the Lord's sight more than all who were before him. Then, if following the sin of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, was not enough, he married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and then proceeded to serve Baal and bow and worship to him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he had built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole. Ahab did more to anger the Lord God of Israel than all the kings of Israel who were before him. During his reign, Hael the Bethelite built Jericho. At the cost of Abarim, his firstborn, he laid its foundation, and at the cost of Segub, his youngest, he finished its gates. According to the word of the Lord, he had spoken through Joshua son of Nun. The first Kings 16 reads like a gloomy chronicle of the pagan kings of Israel. Each one was outdoing the other as it relates to the evil done by their predecessor. At least three different times we read some iteration of, and he did what was evil in the Lord's sight more than his father did. It seems as if this plan of God is spiraling out of control with these kings. Still reeling from the fallout of the division of God's kingdom under Jeroboam and Rehoboam, following Solomon's disobedience, it appears as if things have gone from bad to worse. Now it's worth our time to consider how we got here. Solomon was the golden child of a royal dynasty, blessed with abundant wealth, supernatural wisdom, and royal heritage. He had everything necessary for success. However, Solomon's disregard for the law, specifically the words of Deuteronomy 17, would plunge the people into a cesspool of depravity. The final words of Solomon's father David, the man after God's own heart, included a plea to follow the precepts of God's law. After building the Lord's temple, God promised to reside with his people, provided they would obey his commands. See, repeatedly, Solomon had been implored to follow God's law. Yet we find him acquiring horses and gold and women in direct opposition to the warnings of Moses in the commands of God. 
True to the prophecies of this law, these women, whom Solomon had married, turned his heart in his later years against the law of God and his promises. He began to worship other gods and thereby set a dangerous precedent, one we see in full view today. Following his death, faithful to God's promise, the nation was divided according to the prophecy given to Solomon. Rehoboam, who was the son of Solomon, became king, but his ambition and pride caused all of Israel to scorn and reject his kingdom, all except for the house of Judah. The rest of Israel followed Jeroboam, Solomon's scorned servant who had been in hiding until after Solomon's death. So with the nation now divided between Judah and Israel, the timelines of these two kingdoms begin to diverge. This fracture becomes tricky for us to follow at times because you have the events occurring in the south, that's Judah, in one kingdom, and you have things transpiring in the north in Israel at the same time. Now the writer of 1 Kings jumps back and forth between the two kingdoms, and though he does his best to anchor these events following the storyline of the other kingdom, it can be tricky at times to follow it. This problem is one of the main reasons why we've included a timeline of these events in each section to help you trace the narrative and understand how these events correlate. Now, if you use the app, you can access these timelines from the Grow tab under Bonus Content. There's a link in the top of every section as well, and I'll post the link to this timeline of these events in the show notes for today's episode. So, back to the text. As we read of the repeated revolts of one king after another in 1 Kings 16, each king of Israel, the northern kingdom, seemed to outdo the last in evil and idolatry. And there's one insurrection after another, first with Jehu and Ella, then with Ella and Zimri, and then with Zimri and Omri, until we come to King Ahab, the famous evil king of Israel. Now, on top of the idolatry that Ahab plunged Israel into, he marries Jezebel, the renowned daughter of King Ethbaal of the Sidonians. Now, this was expressly forbidden by God from the people, much less the king. This was the very thing that got Solomon in trouble. So on top of the blatant idolatry and abhorrent and endless revolutions, now we have intermarriage with other nations. This is a veritable veritable trifecta of evil. It seems like the storyline is about to go off the rails completely as the chapter draws to a close. Because the people have completely abandoned God and forgotten him, and it would seem as if God's story would end in defeat. And yet at the very end of the narrative, we're given a reminder of hope. Ironically, it comes in the form of a tragic footnote on the reconstruction of the city of Jericho. We read that Hael the Bethelite built Jericho. At the cost of Abarim, his firstborn, he laid its foundation. And at the cost of Sagub, his youngest, he finished its gates. According to the word of the Lord he had spoken through Joshua, son of Nun. Now, according to our timeline, Ahab became king about 874 B.C., and it was during his reign that Hael built Jericho. He rebuilt the city at the cost of his firstborn and finished it at the death of his youngest. Now, here's what's incredible. Joshua, the text tells us, had prophesied these events, and he said that they would transpire in 1407 B.C., That's a gap of over 500 years, 532 to be exact, between that prophecy and that reality. 
So what does this footnote teach us? Well, the answer is quite a lot, because it reminds us that though evil may abound around us, God's plans are never in doubt. He will accomplish his divine plans despite the tragedy, heartbreak, and evil surrounding us. And through the malaise of revolution, idolatry, and blatant rebellion, God's plans made over 500 years earlier were being accomplished with precision and clarity. The world and the evil in it can often cause us significant distress and anguish if we focus solely on them. Listen, I shudder to think of the world that my kids will inherit. But even now, it seems that the very fabric of a thriving society in the last great frontier of America is unraveling at the seams. And all that appears to be left is the judgment of God to fall. But what we must remember is that just because we cannot see God's victory coming does not mean that he does not see it coming. God will accomplish his plans. He will execute his plans with perfection. He chooses often to do it through the most unconventional of means. If we look closely in the text, we see God at work behind the scenes in the interplay of each of these kings. God raised Zimri to destroy Ella as a way of fulfilling Jehu's prophecy that began the chapter. And then he turns around and raises up the troops to destroy Zimri because of his own sin. You see, throughout these pages of Holy Writ, God sets up kings and tears them down for his own purposes, to fulfill the plans that he has orchestrated with his own hand. This truth was the very thing that the pagan king Nebuchadnezzar came to understand the hard way, that God raises kings and sets them down for his own purposes. And we see history showing this time and time and time again. And this knowledge should incite faith in us as we consider the world around us. The sky is not falling. We have to have faith to believe that a wise and perfect God directs things according to his will. As one song says, your world's not fallen apart, it's fallen into place. Whether good or bad, every circumstance operates under the sovereign control of a God who is working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So we're left then with a conscious faith or an unconscious doubt as we look at the world around us. You see, it's up to us to either throw our hands up in despair or to throw them up in worship to a God whose wisdom fulfills his promises spoken 500 years earlier. The choice then is ours. Will we live in faith or will we live in doubt? Will we choose hope or despair? Why not choose the hope that abounds from faith in a faithful God who will accomplish his purposes amid the darkest of seasons? Listen, if God can turn graves into gardens, bones into armies, and seas into highways, then as Paul said, nothing is too difficult for my God. He's still in control, and he will accomplish his purpose for our good and his glory. Don't let doubt steal that truth out of your life and plunge you into anxiety and worry. So as we pray today, God, grant us the faith to trust in your promises amid the chaos around us. Help us to walk by faith, holding to your word. In the darkness of our lives, amid the confusion and doubt, remind us of your faithfulness to us. And may we walk by faith and not by sight 
in the confidence that you are a God who is faithful. In your name, amen. Thanks for joining us today for the Read Your Bible podcast. For show notes to today's episode, please visit readyourbible.info. While you're there, you can listen to past episodes as well as access a host of additional resources designed to help you grow in your faith. It's all there for you at readyourbible.info. That's readyourbible.info. For more information about South Seminole Baptist Church, just go to southseminole.com. Join us again tomorrow as together we help you learn to read your Bible.